Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon. Uh, my usual time to do a show is on Mondays, but I have been reading Isabel Wilkerson's really quite magnificent uh, and important book, The Story of, uh, of uh, the title is, uh, oh God, what am I terrible? Um, Anyway, it's really the story of race in America. Uh, It's the uh, origin of our discontents is the title of the book. And by the way, I don't like the title, which is the only thing I don't like about the book, uh, because I don't think the title tells you enough about what to expect in the book. But anyway, she talks about um, race. And uh, I did a show two weeks ago on the 10th where I discussed race, um, and uh, not directly, but indirectly. And I suggested then, without having read or even heard about her book, that um, uh, race is a construct. And my beef is uh, always the destructive effects of being labeled or labeling somebody mentally ill which is a made-up concept and basically is a moral judgment, but ultimately can destroy an individual by convincing them uh, that they are inferior in some way and for the rest of their life will need support and direction and external control, which is very important in this schema, and that all of this is a function of authoritarianism in politics. And I really had never thought about caste, which is a structuring of a society, again, in authoritarian ways from high to low, in which, and I've used these terms, individuals or groups are dehumanized and demonized, seen as less than um, uh, uh, human, and at the same time seen as a terrible threat to society. I don't know if anybody is watching the, the hate-filled uh, alternate reality going on on television in the evening now, in which uh, people are made afraid and worried about people who are themselves really the victims of dehumanization. And what's going on there is a demonization. They'll come to your neighborhood, they'll set up house, they'll come with guns, and they'll shoot you. Uh, It's possible in the United States with guns as a problem that anybody can get shot at any time by anybody. But that's the terrible part of using race and creating a caste. They're inferior, they're bad, and they're uh, dangerous. And what you do to them is not important. It's necessary. Um, The the concept of race, as I said then, I say now, and as she says better than I can say, is really a construct. It is uh, taking a few genes that have produced a couple of adaptive uh, 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 aspects of individuals, Uh, And people who have lived together in tribes or in large groups, 
in the same area over centuries, will adapt to the environment in a variety of ways and work out certain social arrangements which are supported ultimately by genetics that allow people to uh, uh, function in a way that is satisfying for themselves uh, in their relationships. And what you have then is a group based on a few individual genes, and in this case, mostly on appearance, skin color, uh, shape of nose, hair, a couple of other things, and classify the individual as wholly different from those who are labeled white. And what was so remarkable as I read this on so many levels is that if you're white, you don't think about being white. In today's day and age, when people who are designated black, African-American, uh, black being the, the pejorative term used to create a caste based on skin color, dark skin color, uh, when that is done, what you end up with is this horrendous layering, authoritarian layering. And you don't think about white, but it's now being thought of because as blacks seek independence, seek equality, seek some measure of safety. Uh, uh, again, this horrendous story of a policeman who shoots a man in the back uh, turned to him as he's trying to get into the car. And again, I don't know what will come out in terms of whether he had a weapon or not, but clearly the law says that somebody has his back to you, shooting him is not, uh, death sentence is not in order in that situation. And as I was thinking about this and discussing this with other people, he shot him seven times. And one of the reasons we do it, and this is not to excuse it, cops are often afraid on the job, and the guns they have are rapid fire. And when you're under duress and fear, perhaps for yourself, uh, uh, or filled with hate and fear, you pull the trigger, you may not even realize you pulled it two, three, four, five, six, seven times. Uh, what I feel, and again, I can't know this, this is a supposition, that he were white, this not would have happened in the same way. Um, the book makes me more aware, and especially I've been increasingly aware of my own latent uh, uh, racism, my own latent role as a white person in society, which I really want to spend some time talking about, um, since the George Floyd uh, uh, murder, and that was murder. The man is lying on the ground, and with no emotion on his face, the cop spent nearly nine months squeezing the life out of him as he is helpless, as he cries for his mother, as he begs to be able to breathe. This was a horrendous murder. Uh, and, and again, uh, uh, just something that when you watch, the starkness of it, just at least with me, grips me, grips me. So that we have this hierarchical situation. I want to talk a little bit about something I wrote in my book, and I have to rewrite the book in parts, make it clearer. Uh, 
I used to do a, a job uh, in my classroom, uh, often my developmental psychology class, to help people understand their identity, especially if they have moral labels attached to their essential den- identity. I'm a bad person. I am no good. I'm seriously inferior. I shouldn't have been born. I'm a piece of shit. Because if you're a psychotherapist, this is what you hear all the time. And you can't argue with it. You can't say, no, you're a good person. What you have to do is really explore the background of this, where it came from. And with me, what I'm really proud of is to teach the individual the difference between judging and describing. That you're not describing yourself, you're merely judging yourself. And the difference between your identity and yourself which I had a wonderful broadcast last week, last Monday on, with Chuck Ruby, where you don't realize or recognize that yourself is made up of behaviors. And it's one thing to say, I am bad. Another thing, I do bad things. Because once it's about your behavior and you're aware of its badness, you can change it. When it's your identity, you can't change it. When the essential you When we look at how race is inculcated to create caste, and she describes this into two levels that I have described being done with patients uh, or in any authoritarian situation. One is to use a lot of force and power and torture to scare the living hell out of what will happen if you fight back. But the other is not to really need to use that unless there is rebellion uh, or a fight back against your identity or how you've been cast, how you've been put into the hierarchy. Uh, And that's to convince the individual to see themselves as inferior. And this is ongoing and it occurs all over the world in many different ways. Uh, Here, the fight being played out is over race. And what I learned as my students, I would have them say, uh, put a piece of paper, uh, open a piece of paper and say, I am. And then list 10 or 12 or so words that describe your essential self. And I wish I had kept these. I would use them now to help write another book or a long article. Men really rarely said, I'm a man. Women almost always, I am a woman. Christians, Protestants, rarely said, I am Protestant. Catholics often said, Jews always said. And in the, towards the end of my tenure as a professor, the 36 years a large number of Pakistanis and other Muslims had come in to the country. And almost always, they said, I am Muslim. And I realized as I was doing this, oh, and by the way, no one ever wrote, I'm white. It's taken for granted in the caste that you're white. But the turmoil that was going on from the 70s on was being black became an awareness in a very specific way. And when people wrote down their identity, I am black. So what's true about women, Jews, 
Protestant, uh, Muslims, and color in America. These are all traits that are used against individuals and the collective of those individuals as a tribe or a group or a caste. And therefore, they're thought about. Right now, with what's going on about the struggle for racial equality in this country, uh, it's whites are aware of being white. But they don't have to defend being white. They don't have to ask for justice as being white because they control the reins of power. We control the reins of power. And I haven't read much further in the book than this, and I think I'm going to do a number of broadcasts on this book because it's changing me. As I've said many times, and if you read my book, and I hope somebody will pick it up and read it and buy it, I give a, 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 a URL that you put in. You can easily get the book in paperback or in uh, e-copy. Um, the, the, the struggle uh, for identity, the struggle to find yourself as a full human being comes in trying to overcome these pejoratives, these labels that you've internalized. And I never think about being white until now. And right now I'm acutely aware of it because white people don't have to think about it. And as she points out in her magnificent book, and the writing is wonderful because uh, she, she just lays things out so clearly and with passion. Uh, 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 I'm glad she didn't go into a more graphic detail of how black slaves, the enslavement of blacks, the torture, the humiliation, uh, the endless misery without any hope ever of reprieve. Um, of of uh, why and how. Well, she doesn't describe yet why, but the how. They were treated as beasts of burden, but much worse than the horses or oxen that in fact were the beasts of burden. And I reason, the reason for that is because on some unconscious level, there was an awareness that you were dealing with human beings. And the only way out of this in the authoritarian system is to insist and do all you can to further dehumanize. Uh, it was there, the pain was there, the guilt was there, but there was never any real mercy. And I'm glad when she describes this, and it, it, it curdles your soul to read it, because most of the time, unless you've been enslaved, you don't think about it. You don't put yourself and identify with the individual as a human being and in their plight. In fact, if you do that, if I do that across all the suffering people in the world, I become paralyzed. So there has to be a kind of a separation if you're going to function. It's when you see uh, uh, a George Floyd uh, uh, killed, or you see this, I forget his name now, names disappear from me so fast, being shot in the back seven times as his children, one of whom is an eight-year-old celebrating his birthday, watches this horror. Uh, it comes to you on a human level, and it's so painful, and, and, and dealing with it for any feeling individual who accepts that this is wrong 
and this is awful, and this is inhumane. Uh, uh, it, it becomes a problem to be dealt with and hopefully leads to action and hopefully leads to doing something that will change. But one of the reasons I am so intrigued as I read this and I identify with it is because I'm Jewish. And I don't ordinarily talk about being a Jew. Uh, I am not religious. I am not at all. I am a very secular Jew. And I haven't believed literally in a supernatural being, a god or gods, since childhood. I just can't make myself believe it. Um, I sometimes am uh, 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 jealous, envious of people who have real faith. Because while I think you pay a price for real faith, for faith of any kind, if it blocks an understanding that you could have of the world in other ways, real faith does create a way to live with much more comfort than without faith. That there is real purpose inherent in life. There's real meaning. And if you really believe it and live comfortably with it, there's an afterlife that may be a heck of a lot better than the life you have here. I can't believe any of that. My parents sent me to Hebrew school for a Jewish education because even if I wanted to forget I was Jewish, they told me, the world will not let you forget that you're Jewish. Now, I'm not sure that's completely as true today, but I was born in 1940. I was born and I was five years old when World War II ended, and we first learned about the Holocaust, the six million Jews, one million of whom were little children and infants, who were slaughtered in places called Baba Yar and, and, and in the death camps, the extermination camps. And they were called extermination camps because the Jews were portrayed not merely as a religion, but as a race. Once had a long discussion with one of my African American students, and I said it was because we were Jewish as a religion. He said, "No, it's because you were labeled as a race." And it took me a while to process that, because even though I knew it in that situation, I was stuck on the idea that this was because I was Jewish as a religion. No, because I was a race. I was a member of a race of rats of poisonous, inferior beings that created a loss of, of, of World War I for the Germans, that we were greedy, and that's all we knew was money, even though most of the Jews in, in Europe were poor. And I thought about this um, for a long time, uh, uh, that had I been born a member of the Jewish race in either Germany or where my grandparents were born, where they were born in eastern Poland or western uh, 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 Russia. And there's a place in that area where at one morning it could be part of Russia and another morning part of Poland. It was always being contested. But the Anti-Semitism, the seeing of, of a Jew uh, 
the religion I belong to and the identity I hold as a person related to Judaism was as an evil, inferior creature. My grandparents both left Russia at around the same time. And it's not hard to imagine my parents meeting while in Russia. I would have died somewhere between birth and maybe three years of age when the Holocaust against the Jews was as its, as its major, when it's as its major. Um, the the um, fact of the matter is uh, that's when the exterminations took place. Right? But because my parents grandparents of both sides came to the United States. I was born in the Bronx. And while there was anti-Semitism, I was not a member of a race. Now, I think I'm still a member of a race to the neo-Nazis who are getting such a voice and such support by the current administration. But for any anti-Semitism I experienced, and there was a little bit of it, uh, what now are called microaggressions, nothing serious. I was able to get my education. I was never seriously hurt. I was never prevented from going to college. I was never prevented. In fact, I went for free. I was never prevented from getting a PhD for free. The taxpayers paid for it, and I wish this was true for my granddaughter who's starting her PhD in New York now. The only real anti-Semitic experience I had was based on religion. Uh, I was friends in the second grade with a little boy. I think his name was Johnny or Frankie. I don't remember, but it was either Johnny or Frankie. And we were walking home from school, and suddenly his older brother pushed me into the gutter. The older brother was in the fifth or sixth grade. He was a big kid. And he said to me, you're never going to play with my brother again because you killed Christ. I didn't know who Christ was, but when I went home and told my mother, remembering now, I think about it now, is because she saw herself as always in danger as a member of the Jewish race, qua religion, but qua race, uh, she turned literally white and didn't know what to do for me, for herself. Um, That never happened again like that. But he didn't say race. It was because as a religion, he had been taught the Jews killed Christ. Now, I am a Jew, in religion, but white. And now I read Wilkerson's book and become aware that I became white only when my parents and my grandparents came to the United States. And white was an issue. In Europe, white wasn't an issue. Jew was the issue and the basis of race and the basis of anti-Semitism. So it's not only people who are of color, who belong to the black race. But once she points out, you came to the United States, and this was of any group, whiteness became the issue, and to become part of the dominant culture, you had to define yourself as white in relation to black, or as I was growing up, Negro or colored 
but black, uh, the Yiddish word, by the way, for someone who is black was schwarze, which means black one, one who is black. Schwarz is the Yiddish and the German derivative, the uh, Yiddish derivative from German of black. Okay? And that was a widespread prejudice. But there was no putting it into race in the sense of we didn't know any black people. We didn't know any. Uh, we were all in a white Jewish enclave. It wasn't until I went to college and graduate school uh, that I began to mix with people of color and became aware that I was white, but more importantly, more consciously, that they were black. <laughs> and, and, and you don't realize, and she points this out so beautifully, how embedded you are in the caste system. You take these things for granted and you don't even see them. And now I think about this. And this is one broadcast I'm going to do, I think, of many. Because until we're all just human, whether Jewish or black or white, until it really doesn't matter, we're all in danger. We're all in danger. I don't think we're going to make it unless we can overcome these tribalisms. I don't think we are. Because it's so alive now. We're watching it. The struggle now is in terms of <coughs> black and white. One of the lines in the book that just floored me was that when Wilkerson, Isabel Wilkerson, was taught in London giving a speech. She met another uh, anthropologist, I have to relook at, sociologist from Africa, who said to her, you know, there are no black people in Africa. And she couldn't process this, as I couldn't process it. She said, there are no black people in, in Africa. There are people of varying tribes and nationalities. But the only time they become black people is if they go to the United Kingdom, which practiced slavery and freed their slaves earlier than America did, or America. It's only when they're in America they discover they are black people. That the color of their skin ascends to the foreground. Okay? And suddenly becomes the dominant feature of their personality, of how they have to live their lives, of how they now have to transform their lives to conform to the hierarchical caste in which they accept being black and have to fight against and deal with what will be done to them by those who think of themselves as white really quite an insight. Um, I don't know what I'd do with this other than making broadcasts, but I'm going to do more of these and hopefully push to more people hear this because it's so simple. As the psychiatrist Harry Stack Sullivan said, we're more human, all more human than otherwise. One of the things I'm trying to think about now is how many blacks, I'm sorry, how many Jews I know 
are uh, uh, against blacks, are racist. How do you become racist when in your lifetime, or at least surely your parents' lifetime, you were the race that was destroyed? You were the inferior, evil race that had to be destroyed. And when I think of it that way, and it's always been in my mind marginally somewhere, but never <coughs> like this after having read at least part of Wilkerson's book, it changes everything. It changes everything. And everybody I know who I sense, as, as a, and I know a lot of Jews here because I live in a Jewish community, not all, it's mixed, but a lot of people here uh, are Jewish. Uh, and not religious. Not, very few really religious Jews. But the ones I know who are racist in some core way, who are Jewish, it's because I now understand it's not because they're Jewish, it's because they're white. And for a Jew not to be aware, and it's so easy not to be aware, that your Judaism is the essential dynamic that would have gotten you killed were you in Europe, to then turn around and be racist against individuals who are, whose skin color makes them uh, 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 inferior in the caste is something that really has to be worked with and now has to be part of the dialogue I bring to some of these individuals, some of whom are family members. Well, one in particular who lives in my community and who I've had great difficulty with because A, I know how he's openly Trumpian, the greatest president we've ever had. And I know about what sits within it. Right? How do I point this out to anybody that were you born in another, in Europe, you would be dead or never have been born, depending on your age, because you were part of an inferior evil race. Can you now maintain the attitudes you have towards people of color. This is a tough one, and I've done enough. I think I'm going to hang up now. Nobody called in. Nobody usually does. Um, I hope I get some responses to this show. Uh, i got to think about how I live the rest of my life from 80 years on. What do I do? Because I can no longer, and I haven't been for a while, a passive bystander. Uh, I, I can no longer watch people dehumanized and demonized because they hallucinate or because they develop crazy ideas that are no crazier than the ideas that most people have in society, but except they make them as individuals. <clears throat> Once your crazy ideas are belonged by a lot of people, you're either a, a psychiatrist or you're a, uh, uh, a sociologist or you belong to some religion because all the religions have crazy ideas from my point of view. 
And by the way, the idea of my friend Chuck Ruby, who I had the interview uh, with last, last Friday, points out, it doesn't matter how crazy your ideas are. It's what you do with them. If you don't hurt anybody and it helps you live a better life, a more loving life, more individual life, more power to you. But then you have to find a way of, of expressing them in such a way as that you're not destroyed by those who in one hand are white or in another hand are mentally healthy. And the only reason they're mentally healthy is not because they're less crazy than the ones who are being diagnosed, but because they have larger numbers to convince them that they're the normal ones, the mentally healthy ones. I will explore this more in coming episodes. Uh, I wish you all well, stay healthy, and let's stay human as best we can. Goodbye.